you're next to someone who has one, flip over to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at the calling of Matthew this morning and uh, how that how that really links in for our lives in looking at how Jesus called him, who he was, uh, the temperature, if you will, of the society in which he was called and how that can apply to 2020 here and now. So if you have a Bible, starting in verse 9, we'll be looking at uh, a couple things as to what we can learn from this. And there's a lot of new things. There's new, new priority, new proximity, and new power. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning here in Matthew 9. It says, As Jesus went on from there, meaning healing the paralyzed man, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. We'll stop there. Again, we have Jesus and his disciples being questioned by the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist. And Jesus answers those two questions in a new way, a way that we can learn and we can take a good look at it this morning and what we can learn from this passage. The first point I have this morning is new priorities. New priorities. You know, a new life and new priorities come with a call. And here we see with Matthew, as he goes on, he meets he meets Matthew at a tax collector's booth. And he says two words to him. Follow me. And Matthew gets up right away and follows him. You know, the background of tax collectors is these guys are, these guys are, are treasonous. They're betrayed their countrymen. They are now working with the enemy. We know this as Rome has occupied Jerusalem, has occupied these territories in modern-day Israel. And to be a tax collector is to not only betray your people, but it's actually to take advantage of them. As often, tax collectors would take more than what was required. So Matthew is like the scum of the earth to all the, all the, to the Jews, and even the disciples, as they see Matthew initially, this is going to be difficult for them to embrace. But we see here with Jesus, as the kingdom is, Jesus comes and interacts and calls the people, honestly, that you and I think Jesus would avoid. And honestly, in our heart of hearts, Jesus calls and wants people to follow him. The people that you and I in our hearts may not want to have, have anything to do with. Those who we potentially ignore, or even in our hearts as we've learned earlier in Matthew, we, we judge and dismiss them. But like the leper, Jesus comes to another case of leprosy, not so much as a skin disease, but someone who has been ostracized because of decisions he had made. And Jesus calls him 
to follow him. You know, we do have a nurse, a couple of nurses in the audience here, and we've got a doctor. <clears throat> and uh, Bruce is an ER doc, and I don't know how all this works, so, you know, go with me here, Bruce. But uh, Bruce and I get breakfast every once in a while at, uh, at, at our daily bread before it shut down because of COVID infestation or infection or whatever. So, amen for that. Uh, but I've never been with, with Bruce that in, in our morning breakfast where he gets the, the infamous, like, pager call for the doctor. Like, oh, let me check my phone. And he's like, oh, I got to go in. But he's fielded a couple calls where the, the hospital has called him during our time. And I, I remember thinking, like, whoa, yeah, Bruce is, like, high octane, man. Like, he's needed. He's the, he's the head guy in the ER. Like, if someone's going down, like, call Bruce. And there's kind of these moments where he's on call, like, his whole life. And I thought, like, whoa, that's... So this is where I might be tapering off. But for illustration's sake, like if, if you're a doctor, you're, you're on call your whole life. You know, I, I, I glance over to my left and I know Cliff, he runs the entire AV for the, Hon the, for the Roanoke, Hotel Roanoke. And there's been times where we've been Zooming or we're meeting up or we're planning lunch. He's like, hey man, I got a call. And he's got to run and set up this huge conference room with every wire you can imagine. And uh, Cliff is very much on call to make sure that hotel runs. So he's the man there. And I'm just like, wow, I got some amazing brothers. But the sense of being on call, your life is not the same when you're on call. When you have a responsibility that expects you to be ready, and amen for boundaries, okay? But let's, for the sake of the illustration, when you're on call, you're not in charge of your life anymore. You've received the call. And the answer is, am I going to go or am I going to claim my own life right now? And when you do that in high octane positions, they'll usually find someone else to answer the call if you don't. So in a lot of ways here, this new priority is we need to heed once again through the life of Matthew here. When Jesus says, follow me, that is a call that demands everything else to be put behind and then move on with the answer. You know, back in 2003, uh, as a college student, I got the call to follow Jesus. And the call to follow Jesus was one I had not yet heard before. I thought I knew what it meant to follow Jesus. I thought the call meant be a good kid, don't do certain crazy sins, and go to church and generally be a good, good citizen. Anybody else relate to all that? But when studying the scriptures and seeing what actually Jesus meant to follow him, my world, just like the doctor who gets the pager call, your world stops in that moment. And you look intently as to what those numbers are on your pager. And you determine your next step. Number five, I have to leave. Oh, 3 a.m. No, no, no. I got the call. I got to go into the hospital. Oh, it's As parents, you could be dead asleep. Baby starts crying. Again, early stages, not when you're creating boundaries. But early stages, oh, baby's crying. Gotta stop. Gotta go. Kids get hurt. Oh, shake it off. No, no, that's a serious one. Gotta stop doing everything I need to do. It's, it's, in, it's in, in alignment with all those type of calls. But even the call to go to the hospital or the call to attend to a, needing, a needy child, those things pale in comparison to the call of Jesus. That actually tells you 
not just to stop what you're doing, but then to actually walk as Jesus did. Now, do you think Matthew knew everything he was getting into? No, you don't. Matthew is, is an expert at leaving out details in his gospel. If you want to know more detail, go to Mark's account. There's a little bit more in all of this. But Matthew shows us that he himself, as he writes himself in the story, he gets the call and he immediately follows Jesus. Why do you think God put that story in there? To kind of shake us into this example that, oh, we need to have a similar response? Well, I think there's a reason for it. Here's the reason. It shows the priority. The priority is not, let me get my stuff together and then I'll follow you. Let me try to figure out my life and what you're calling me to do real quick. Let me even make a decision so much so that I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this and I got this and I plan to come back to this. Let me delegate my responsibility so that when I'm done checking this out, I can come back and my table will still be moving forward. This shows a abandon of all that was calling Matthew prior to the call of Jesus. And it shows us this priority is second to nothing. It's, it's second to nothing. It is the new priority. You know, studying the Bible over 16 years ago, I learned what it actually meant to follow. Things came in technology-wise like Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow somebody very casually. But here in this first century, follow, the best word that we have is from the, from the Greek, you've heard this many times, akalutheo, which the best English word that we have is enlist. And anyone who's ever served in the military or knows someone or is familiar with that, you understand that enlistment is not something you just haphazardly jump into, and it's not something that you say, okay, I'm going to go serve, but I'm going to serve my way. Or I'm going to jump into this and I'm going to find my niche. And then when my superior officer says this, I will tell him, you know, that's not what I signed up for. I'm going to do this instead. To follow means when you write your sign your name on the dotted line, you are now U.S. government property. Where they say go, you go. For how long, you stay. What you're going to do there, you do it. Or you leave the service. And they'll kind of slap on a dishonorable discharge to make you feel like, you know, you really blew it. So you got to know what you're getting into. But what you do know, and we have plenty of servicemen and women in our fellowship here, they knew or know that they are no longer in charge of their lives. That the last, who has the last word is no longer them. And that idea of enlisting is what Jesus is calling Matthew to do. And it now becomes the new priority in Matthew's life. Think about when you received the call to follow Jesus. You knew, if you're a disciple this morning, you knew that it was a weighty challenge. It was weighty. It called you to question all of your other priorities. It called you to count the cost. Is the priority of knowing and following Jesus greater than all the other priorities I've been living for? Is it greater than my career? Is it greater than my love life? Is it greater than my comfortability? Is it greater than you fill in the blank? And I believe as disciples, we did count that cost and we said, you know what? This new priority is the best priority. But fast forwarding in my own life, is it still the best priority? Is following Jesus still as exciting and as new 
as it was back then. We've got to think about that. And as Sade and Rolando so perfectly called us to remember the cross and to figure out for ourselves what we need to remember. In that same vein, let us remember the call we've heard. The call to follow Jesus was not a, a silly one. It wasn't a, a cute and cuddly one. It wasn't a boring one. It was actually an exciting, revolutionary, oh my goodness, thank you for this purpose in following and knowing you. You know, COVID can have a lot of effects on a lot of us, but I think the greatest effect it can have is causing us to drift away from the call of Jesus. And it's not necessarily uh, intentional as it is that God is actually trying to help us figure out the way to follow him in this season. And it calls us to be flexible and connected and to have that priority. Or what happens just kind of gradually and, and, and casually is that, you know what, if you're trying to do it the way you did before COVID, you really can't do much of anything anymore. So you drift and you end up redefining what it means to answer the call of Jesus. What it actually means to make him the priority. What I mean by that is that if he's the priority, he's the priority no matter what's going on. And disciples try to figure out how can I make Jesus Lord? How can I continue to make him the priority no matter the circumstances? We don't wait for circumstances to change to answer the call. If we did that, it would be it would be on par with Bruce the doctor saying, you know what, this isn't... I'm good, thanks Bruce. I appreciate it. Bruce got a hat for me to uh, cover my balding shame. No, he was conscientious of my uh, the suntan that I'm going to get on the left side of my face. I appreciate that too. But it's, in, it's, on, it's on par with, you know what, this call that I received here at 3 a.m is not the circumstances I wish to be called in. I'd rather get the call when I'm awake, not when I'm sleeping. You know, I'd rather get the call when everything is lined up perfectly. I've got a full, night's, a full night of rest, everything's good, I feel excited about my job, I'm excited about the reason I'm going in. You know, you have these expectations and honestly, you have these, you have these intentions. I wanna have the call fitted for my life in the way I want it, to make it easy for me to respond. But if it's the new priority and the constant priority, man, the call just pierces right through everything we've got going on. And we're excited about answering it. You know, God is calling us. And as Matthew did, he jumped at the chance to follow him. Let us now in our lives and let us always jump at the chance to follow him. Real change happens in our world when we take new priority in Jesus. Amen? The next one is a new proximity. Matthew, as he gets up and follows Jesus, we see here that Matthew is now dining with Jesus. Matthew, a Levi, if you look at the Gospel of Mark, invites Jesus into his house. And all the tax collectors here in verse 10, all the tax collectors and sinners have Jesus over to their home. That is a new proximity. That it's not just, okay, I'll, I'll follow Jesus for a time, but I'm going to bring Jesus in real close. The closest that I can to make it known to the world. First century and similar today, when you have someone into your home, 
you're bringing them into your life, literally. But it's a, it's a cultural message that I want you close to me. I want to bring you into my life. I want you to see my life, see my family, see everything here, see the dynamics of my marriage, see the kids when they listen and not listen. It's a very vulnerable thing to have someone come into your home. Is it not? Especially when there's a with the dishes in your sink. That's a vulnerable, vulnerable time. Every day I do. Jesus comes in with the proximity of Matthew and these tax collectors. He's up close and personal, having dinner with them. He's communicating to them, I'm here, no matter who you are. who God is for all of us. He comes into our sinful households says, I'm here to dine with you. I'm here to be close to you at the expense of his own reputation. What begins here is what Matthew launches into a transitional moment in Jesus' ministry. It's from this point on, the Pharisees will have it out for Jesus' ministry. When he sees him convene and dine with these sinners and tax collectors, they start to question him. And there's a series of questions, not just from the Pharisees, but also from John's disciples here. Why does this guy not fast? And Jesus has something to say about that too. But I love that Jesus wants to be close to us. And we love that too. But the question is for all of us, do we like having Jesus close to us? And do we want to get close to Jesus? To the Pharisees, they question this because to get close to a sinner means to become, to become a sinner yourself. To be close to someone who needs to be reconciled, like a tax collector, is to put yourself on their level and to become unclean. The Pharisees at this point had taken the law, which is, is beautiful in its own, and it actually put a fence around the law, meaning, you know what, we're going to only, only engage with people that are like us. The heart of it was to keep themselves from being unclean. The spirit was, we're going to follow God closely, in close proximity, so therefore we're going to keep everybody who does not want God close out of our lives. And Jesus comes in, to those who need to be reconciled, to those who need to be healed, as Jesus says, I've come not to call the righteous, but the sick. Those who need a doctor, and that's all of us, right? That's what it means to have a new proximity, is to bring Jesus close. You know, think about a scripture that everybody loves. There's a passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that says that God works out for the good of all those who love him. We love that first part. We love that part, right? We love Romans 8, 28. Flip there for a second if you don't, if you got something. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know all, that in all things God works for the, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So the first part we love, oh man, God's going to work out for my good. For who? Those who have been called. Meaning, not just those who have been called, but those who have answered the call. 
So I love that idea of God hooking me up and I get to just do what I want. Oh, God, you're going to work out for the good of me, but I'm just going to do my own thing. Or you're actually going to do what's good in my mind so that I can keep having good things the way I designed it in my life. But Jesus has called us and he's called us to his purposes. And God is all about equipping us to be about his purposes, to be like him, to answer the call to follow him. God says, you know what? I'm going to set you up. I'm going to work out for the good in your life so that you can follow me. So you can be me and my hands and feet, so to speak, in this world. But the proximity piece, like we see in Matthew and many people who have been called to follow Jesus, it's up to us. There are many stories in scripture where Jesus called someone, but they decided not to let Jesus be their new proximity. To not have Jesus so close, but to keep him at arm's distance. Think about a man who honestly would put us to shame in the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. He had followed the law to a T. And he wants to know how he can enter the kingdom of heaven. How can he inherit eternal life? For a Jew, that didn't mean heaven like you and I think. Oh, how can I get to heaven? What he was saying is, how can I participate in the kingdom right now? How can I participate in this life that you're bringing right now? We look at that scripture and we think, oh, you know, he wants to go to heaven. And we know we can't get to heaven with just doing all these good works that doesn't save us. So we look at that. But his understanding was the Messiah is going to come and he's going to transform this world into his kingdom. And we understand that, that God is actually bringing his kingdom here. So he's saying, I want to be a part of the kingdom. I want to know what I need to do now so that I can be equipped when that kingdom comes to walk with you, to walk with God in transforming this world. And God calls him. Jesus calls him in that point. Here's the call. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. What was he doing? He was saying, you know what? You've got a proximity of possessions that you need to get rid of so that your new proximity can be me. Because you have, you have idolatry in your life with your possessions and it's clouding you from participating in the kingdom. So give it up so that you can be free to answer the call. And answering the call means a shifting of what you're closest to. As, it is, as, as I heeded the call and was challenged to now make Jesus my, my closest proximity, that came with a few things. That came with the change schedule to make sure I was spending time with God every day. If I have a new proximity and I want to embrace that, and have Jesus into my home, so to speak. There are new things that come with that, practically. My schedule changes, doesn't it? If Jesus is my new priority, my new proximity, you know what? If I'm following him closely, I'm going to do what he does. Things, things have to change in my life. My schedule changed how early I woke up. I looked at free time differently. I looked at my money differently. I mean, I didn't have much as a college student. Goodness, I had a gas card most of the time and a bunch of Hot Pockets. Hot Pockets. And I had a whole bunch <laughs> whole bunch of Pop-Tarts. I didn't mess with the ramen. 
Peter's Pop tarts? No, ramen. Pop tarts are, yeah, Amy, probably high in sodium too. Anyway, I remember thinking, oh, you know, I, I go to the store and I spend pretty much all that I made from Panera Bread. That's where I worked in college. All that I, all that I earn, I go and spend it on food, and that was it. That was my life because I barely had had anything. But now becoming a disciple and now giving to the missions of God, again, it wasn't much, but my goodness, thinking of these, of walking with Jesus closely, being about His mission, man, I had to find, and I wanted to, but I had to find it. Those two dollars, four dollars, five dollars, maybe if I'm really like, really feeling it. Five bucks, really trust the Lord that we five bucks for the mission. And we didn't give on Venmo, man. It was like you saw it, leave your hand. See you later. I must really believe. I'm doing this. And I remember there were times like, nope, I can't. I surfed a ton. And I would drive down to Virginia Beach about 13 miles from Norfolk and surf in the morning and then come back for my 9 a.m. And I remember gas was like, I've got to have gas money so I can go surf. But I remember becoming a disciple and I couldn't surf anymore. Not because I was so fired up about the mission. I was. But my money was going to different places so I couldn't fill my gas tank. So I didn't drive anymore after I became a Christian many, many times. I just skateboarded around campus. I didn't have enough money to fill my gas tank to do my hobbies. That was a good thing. I was excited about that. But that was a real life change that I experienced. Relationships. When you have a new proximity to Jesus, your relationships change. I mean, there were friends that I hung out with, and we did dumb stuff. And I knew, answering the call and making him a new priority, that I was going to walk with Jesus and imitate him. I knew there was going to be rub with my friends. You know, we had AOL Instant Messenger. My AOL Instant Messenger away messages were going to be different. They used to be chock full with terrible lyrics. And now they're going to be chock full with, I'm away at devotional, I'll be back. Or I'm in, you know, whatever. These spiritual things that I was doing. Or just saying BRB, and that was it. But my friendships changed radically. There were people that were interested in becoming disciples because of the changes God made. But there were a lot of people that said, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to be anywhere close to you if that's the way you're going to live. And it was more that than, whoa, this is what I want to do too. And I remember walking ODU. There's 22,000 people, but you know the people you don't want to see, you always see them. And walking around campus, and they're like, hey, hey, Johnny, how's the book club going? And they're like screaming across the, the quad, like, hey, John, how's the book club? Like, it's going great. You should come. <laughs> but I remember that, that proximity to Jesus changed how people saw me and how I wrestled so much to want Jesus close, but have everybody kind of not see Jesus at the same time. But being, having Jesus be your new proximity it changes your life. It changes your schedule. It changes your finances. It changes your friendships. And people need to take notice. Jesus bringing kingdom shows the Pharisees here that when you're doing it God's way, you're going to be hanging out with people that need him. And it's going to create flack in your life. So not only is it a new prior proximity to Jesus, but your life needs to take new proximity to those who are hurting. The Pharisees avoided the people that were hurting, and they lost their purpose. 
as disciples, Jesus tells us here, go find out what this means. Verse 13, desiring mercy, not sacrifice. You know, our lives as disciples are not meant to be a proximity to rules, but a proximity to people. Our lives as disciples aren't meant to be this proximity to upholding some type of religiosity, but actually having a proximity to people who are hurting, who need God. You know, COVID-19 has caused us to think and have time to reflect actually on this passage, to actually have the time to think, what does God mean by him not desiring sacrifices, but mercy? We talked about this passage three months ago about how this is meant to transform the purpose of our lives to be about bringing the mercy of God to a hurting world. It's meant to change how we interact with people. It's meant to change the way we see people. It's meant to change and expose any type of prejudice we have to certain people. It's meant to empower us and motivate us to go after being close to those who need healing. Our Jesus, in his call, calls all of us to go to those who are sick, not to those who don't need a doctor in their own minds. What's the proximity to those who are hurting in your life? Are we incubating ourselves away from the challenges that this world has? Are we hiding out behind our computer screens in our homes from the discomfort of our community? And I appreciate a number of people, and so many disciples are doing this, but I appreciate just talking to, uh, to those who are really looking for new ways to serve our community. You know, there's the, there's the humble hustle that's going on, and the bridges are heading that up, and meeting, meeting with kids that grew up urban, urban lives, and actually exposing them to the outdoors and just having a commitment to meet those folks, to go there and just give and serve and teach. And by way of that, opening doors to the gospel. You know, the Young's Bible Talk, they told me the other day they're going to start connecting with the group called Street Street, which meets down there in the Northwest uh, the Presbyterian Community Center for, for adult teens. Every Saturday night, thinking about ways they can give to these these teens that are honestly trying to escape the community of the world and have a safe place to hang out and build friendships. And them going down there and serving. You know, those of us who have given consistently to the rescue mission, had a conversation with them this week, they have very, very few volunteers. I mean, they have more needs than ever, but fewer volunteers than ever. And a lot of that's become because of the social distancing. But when I called them, the lady on the phone said, oh, she took a deep breath and she said, you don't know how much of a godsend this call is to me. And it was just me saying, hey, what are, what are some of the Saturdays that we can come down and serve? And she said, can you go online real quick? And I said, sure. And I went online and she said, okay, click on opportunities to serve. And then there was this drop down, sign up. And every Saturday was like, we need 15 volunteers. We need 14 volunteers. We need 13 volunteers. And if you've done that, you understand that's pretty much all the volunteers they always have is about 13 to 15, which means they only have one or two people serving, handing out over 200 boxes of food to our community every weekend. So the call is, man, let's go serve 
And we're going to do that more and more consistently here in Roanoke, get back to that. But it's that type of let me find out how I can get close to the community that is hurting, even in this era of social distancing. All right, bring it home. Here we go. It's new priority. There's new proximity. But we know that's tiring. And we know we don't have it in of ourselves. So we need new power. We need new power to bring this home. We need new power to actually go out and do this. And it's this imagery that Jesus gives us about no one sews an old patch, or excuse me, a new patch to an old garment. It just makes the tear worse. And then the new wines, if you understand that, leather was what they kept wine in, fermenting wine. You get all the bubbly in there, and then it bursts the wine, and then the wine spills, and that's bad news. This sense that we, being an old wineskin, can't put the power of God into an unchanged life. If an unchanged life, it will make, try to bring the gospel into that and not change. It's actually going to do worse than a new life now, be, now, been, now been given new wine. So this new priority, new proximity highlights a changed life. And then when that new wine gets into that new wine skin, oh boy, that fermentation process, that's the good stuff. That rumbling around in a changed life, that wine becoming better and better and better so that when it's ready to be poured out, oh my goodness. You get that imagery that we see in John chapter 2. Oh, you've saved the best wine till last. So that power of that wine coming into a transformed life is what God desires for all of us. It's what God desires for the entire world. And it just makes sweet, sweet, sweet wine for the whole world to enjoy. So as we focus on God being our priority, answering the call, we know that that comes with new proximity. And it changes our lives for the better. And then we can go in the power that Jesus gives us the power that he gave us, knowing that, you know what? In order for new life to be given, I have to die. And it's exactly what Rolando and Shade talked about this morning already in communion. Is it's the cross that gives us the power. Remembering what Jesus has done gives us the power to go live this type of life. Gives us the confidence, the swag, the drip. That's for Rolando. To go live this life. To go live this life. I'm striking out. To go live this life. To walk confidently into your job knowing that your priority is Jesus. And your priority is Him. And His call is not too big for you. Because He's the one working through you. The power to live out this life is found in Jesus death and his resurrection that's what we got to remember moving forward practically what proximity to jesus have you been keeping think about that this week and make the necessary changes to let that power come into your life to let it make a difference and let it pour out to our community jesus tells us here you know what any old stuff provides the opportunity for us to get rid of